I mean, we saw what happened when there was more interconnectivity with communications over the internet. What the internet did for communications, I think Bitcoin and Lightning can do for monetary financial services. So. Today is Saturday, March 18th. It is 8.49 a.m. Griff, how are you doing this week, man? Uh, just dandy. Nicholas, how are you doing? Uh, well, I'd say by the looks of your background that things are, uh, things are looking really good. Um, I had a great week. Yeah. It's, a, it's a good week, man. But honestly, I, Griff, I don't want to waste any time talking about us because there is so much stuff happening right now. And uh, it's all so important. And where I want to start here is just kind of a timeline of events as to what has led to where we're at now. So I'm just going to jump through uh, each of these pieces, and we can maybe pause every couple of uh, every couple of pieces here. So I'm just going to begin here. January 2020, inflation's under two percent, historically low unemployment. Overall, the economy in the United States is doing pretty dang good, right? We've had this long uh, decade of a bull run in pretty much every asset class, um, and every everything's looking pretty good, right? People are doing their normal thing. It's it's going all right. Then what happens in the beginning of 2020? COVID. COVID enters. Uh, you have kind of that period of, you know, maybe maybe a month or maybe maybe a little over a month where there's a lot of uncertainty. Like, what is this? What's going on? Ultimately, it leads to government made it mandated lockdowns. The velocity of money in the United States economy comes to a screeching halt. And this caused all of those feelings of uncertainty, not not only just with the regular everyday life of an American, but also uh, in the economy, right? And so what happened due to that? People wanted to get liquid. You know, due to all the things uh, that we just talked about there, the investors and the normies alike wanted to get liquid. They wanted to have liquid cash on the sidelines during this time of uncertainty, right? If they were able. Um, the, and, and the answer in, in getting liquid was dollars because that was the safe haven where people could go and store value and they would be safe from you know, a, an uncertain uh, economy moving forward. Um, and that's what they thought the dollar was going to bring, right? But in order to get dollars, they sold every single investment asset that they possibly could. That's stocks. This is, uh, this is cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin. Um, you know, people were, at the time, people not, not quite started selling real estate, but um, they're selling all of those liquid assets. If there's a liquid market, man, they're selling everything, right? Baseball um, cards. It, Exactly right. The it stocks, gold, Bitcoin, shit coins, yeah. everything had a liquid market. Yeah, exactly. it didn't matter what it was. It was so it was this hot. ultimately creates a a liquidity uh, a liquidity crisis. In that, uh, you know, it was I think March 2020 is when everything starts to free fall. Right, we have that huge free fall, um, and that is that is not good in the eyes of the central planners. They don't want that to happen. Right. Uh, I think we always make jokes about Jerome Powell and the boys. They're like, oh, we, we can't let it go down. We can't let the S&P go down. So they've got to do anything they can do. So yeah. the Fed and the United States government had a decision to make at that point. Do they let the free markets operate like they should? Or do they jump in and try to take control and intervene? Well, we, we all know the story. They did jump in and intervene. They dumped interest rates down. Uh, I think it was, I think maybe two emergency interest rate uh, decreases Ultimately, that leads down to 0% interest rates, which means people are extremely incentivized to lend money and borrow money, right? Banks are incentivized to lend, 
uh, did regular they do that people at the same exact years. time. Sorry, did they What's do that? the did they do that at the same exact time that they also released the reserve requirement where they were like, hey, ten to one, twenty yeah. to one. Yes. Yeah. It, so happened, I don't know. I forget exactly. I forget exactly when the CARES Act was signed and put into force. Um, but yeah, this was all kind of right in the same time frame, probably within the you know three, four month period or something like that, maybe. But then also at the same time, they didn't just dump interest rates down. They pumped the economy with so much money, it didn't even know what to do with it. There was so much money in the market that the economy didn't know how to allocate this money. You know, we talk about, and, and I'd be, I, I haven't looked up the, the recent numbers to see what the monetary supply increase has been since then to now. Um, obviously, we've had a couple other influxes of cash since then. Um, but the, the interest rates get dumped down to zero and the economy gets pumped with, with money. You, you know, we got normal citizens getting $1,200 checks directly from the government. And, you know, during that time, there, was, there were some airline bailouts. There were some other smaller uh, industry bailouts. Dude, this is not good. So where 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 does that lead to inflation? Uh, you cannot flood the, the economy with new money and set interest rates at zero without getting higher inflation. Now, I want to say higher because I'm not going to say that everything just uh, just hyperinflates. It's going to go higher than where it's at. Uh, how high it goes depends on how much money is being flood in and, and exactly where that money is going and all that kind of stuff. But in the summer of 2021, a year after all of this stuff had begun is when we actually start to see inflation uh, start to creep up. Right. And then it enters over that 5% mark, which is, man, dude, that's, that's a big, that's a big number for inflation as far as, you know, Hey, our goal is two to 3%. Dude, you're two to 3% off of your goal. Um, which, you know, when you're talking about an economy, the size of the American economy, um, dude, I mean, that's, that's a big number. Uh, it eventually topped out at just over 9%. I think it was maybe 9.5%, um, maybe in later, uh, probably Q3 of 2022. I mean, this is a huge increase in just under two years. This is massive. But it's hilarious because the uh, you know it, we have the benefit of hindsight now, right, where we can look back and say, oh, well, how, how funny and ironic is it that they said this, right? So what happened after all of this? Uh, and what did the central planner say? They said, inflation is transitor transitory. It's going to come back down real quick. Don't worry about it. We're now two years, almost two years past this, and it's still above 6%. I mean, that's hilarious. But during this time, all the normies, all the regular people that, that maybe didn't have a, a real understanding of what was going on under the hood, man, it felt amazing. We're drunk. We're drunk on free money. And Asset prices are going up. Everything is going up in dollar prices. And people really felt, man, I am getting so wealthy. I'm getting so rich. I'm making all this money on all my assets, all my investments. But then they didn't. The bottom half of the Americans uh, don't have investable assets, right? They're typically living paycheck to paycheck um, they or, or living on fixed income. And everything that they've got that is, uh, you know, quote, liquid would be cash. They've got cash. And so during that time of high inflation, you're just going to get hammered. You know, you're just going to get hammered if you've got cash sitting on the sideline. And that's exactly where they stored it, right? So the bottom half lost, the top won and became more rich. And this is when the Fed started seeing, okay, we, we've got an issue on our hands. We really, we really need to try to get inflation under control. 
Interest rates began to increase in 2022 at the highest rate of increase uh, that we've ever seen in history. They go from 0% to 4.5% in just over a year. This is like unprecedented in American history. Uh, and then they began also quantitative tightening uh, to remove, you know, I think they ended up removing about $1 trillion off of their balance sheet. I'm talking about the Federal Reserve here. They removed about a trillion dollars off their balance sheet, um, but they were never able to really tamp down inflation. And uh, it's funny, you know, I, I saw a chart earlier, Griff, that, uh, you know, I think half of the quantitative tightening that had been uh, that had been done over the last, I don't know what exactly the time frame is. I don't know when they began that. But it all half of it was reversed just this past week. Uh, I think the Federal Reserve increased their balance sheet by like three hundred billion dollars, bro. And so all the quantitative tightening they've done up to this point, half of it gone, one week gone. So, dude, I mean, we're we are in a very scary position now where all of these banks for, you know, the last call it, uh, you know, two, three years, couple of years have been lending out money at such low cost for money that they've been able to take on higher risk projects. And uh, and now that we're, you know, then, then you run into, so the CARES Act, like you mentioned earlier, they reduced that reserve requirement down to zero. So now there's no reserve requirement. And, um, and so then the deposits don't matter as much for the banks, like at all. Uh, now, I think a fiscally responsible bank would say, hey, I'm going to keep some reserves on the, on the sidelines because this is good fiscal responsibility. But I, I don't think a lot of them did do that. And so, um, and so what they were doing, what they ended up started doing is, uh, hey, we're going to incentivize people to <clears throat> deposit uh, dollars into our bank by giving them a higher interest rate. And what they were doing is, uh, I, think, I think people are starting to coin it uh, hide to maturity, the hide to maturity strategy. Uh, but what they were doing was taking, hey, I've got $10,000. I'm going to put my $10,000 in this bank. And they said that they're going to give me, you know, three and a half percent. Well, they take that ten thousand dollars and they're going to they're going to show as if it's still in your bank account. But they're really going to take that ten thousand dollars and they're going to go buy a long duration bond. And they're going to they're going to pay you a portion of that three and a half percent while they're making, you know, four and a half or whatever the exact spread is based on what what maturity date they're buying and stuff. And so they're, they're saying that your money is here, but they actually took it and moved it over here. And they're showing that it's in two places when really it's over here not in your account. And uh, dude, now they're running into liquidity issues. I mean, I think Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank, they were like, we don't have any money. We don't have any money. And so it's like, uh, <laughs> this is not good. Uh, so Griff, that's, that's my thought there on the timeline of events over the past few years. Um, what are your thoughts? No, I, that was, that's pretty cool. Just for context to the podcast, when Nick started that timeline, we were in college and we were both economic students at UAlbany. And we were probably taking like a, a class on banking, actually, from a fourth year PhD student who had no idea like what banking was. So it, it's really interesting too, just from like our perspective to not understand anything to now two years, just because we like Bitcoin, we at some point have a, a greater understanding of what's actually going on and why policy changes and why the Fed matters, why interest rates matter. I never knew any of those things in 2020. And now, yeah, looking back on it, a lot of this stuff, and this is why we like following Bitcoiners, <laughs> you can learn from them. They call this stuff out super early, which is super nice, but it's crazy to see, I don't know, just the childlike decision-making from the Fed or 
I mean, you could say that they have some kind of strategy. We just don't know what it really is yet because it doesn't seem like it's uh, going to plan. It seems like they're getting tight on crypto banks <clears throat> now is like their, is their strategy to a degree. But I don't know how much that's going to be able to, uh, I don't know, do you like get money out of crypto, but also prop up all the other banks like uh, Silicon Valley, I don't believe was... It was a largely a tech-friendly bank, but I don't believe it was a crypto bank, and they didn't want them to pop. I mean, Gavin Newsom had money in that bank. I'm pretty sure they weren't going for that one, but you know, money is a little bit blind. So, yeah, that's super interesting, Nick. The timeline's pretty awesome. 2020 to now, in like two short years, how much stuff can blow up, and now what's going to happen in the third year? Can they actually get things under control? Can they not? Who knows? And then who knows what's next? Does that just mean hyperinflation? And then what does hyperinflation mean to you? I don't know. I'm just glad I have Bitcoin. That's all I'm going to say. Well, I'll, I'll end this quick uh, opening segment here with uh, with a chart. Uh, this is year to date. So this is from January 1 of 2023. If you're listening, we're looking at 65% year to, year to date growth in Bitcoin, which is pretty interesting, which is pretty interesting. So uh, b- besides that, I'm really excited, Griff, because we've got another friend from Twitter joining us today. His name is Ben Justman. We've seen him, I interacted with him a ton back and forth on Twitter over the last, you know, several months or when, however long it's been. And, uh, you know, it's always fun. Like you see people on Twitter and you're like, hey, I like what that guy posts, you know, I comment on stuff like it. You know, we talk back and forth. And uh, every once in a while, we get an opportunity to get online and chat with some people and have a real conversation. And I'm excited about that. So today we got Ben Justman joining us. Ben, welcome on to the show, brother. How are you doing today? So good. Great to see you guys. Hey, so Ben, we we just previously had a little bit of a conversation, and I want to take everybody through who you are and what your story is. Um, you you started a wine company. Uh, you're you you're kind of a recent within the past three ish years, a Bitcoiner, and um, and you're you're actively starting to grow your business. Um, you're kind of entering a, a pivotal point in your business where you've now got a lot more options. Give us your story from starting the company and uh, up to kind of now. Awesome, yeah. So I grew up on a vineyard and my dad's goal was to grow all his own food. So sustenance farm, lots of animals, a bunch of different fruit and and food and everything. And my dad made wine as a hobby. So when I was 25, I was kind of looking for a business to start and realized that that was kind of my low hanging fruit was to be a winemaker, um, having never made wine before. And so I kind of just jumped at it, went for it in 2019, and it's been working out ever since then. But then in 2020, I moved back home to the vineyard, started building a house, and in that moved in with a Bitcoiner friend of mine. So he got me thinking about Bitcoin, kind of just listened to podcasts the whole time I was building a house, working in the wine room, and orange-filled myself that way. Been selling wine since 2021, stacking corn and stacking wine, so... Yeah, just that's, that's a pretty good motto, to be honest. It's pretty good, definitely. Yeah. I mean, you're, there's definitely like um, you're going back and forth on whether you should spend want money on the business or spend money on Bitcoin because you know yeah. how good of a bet Bitcoin is, but yeah. you also got to keep things going on the business side. And on the business side, it's you make wine and then you don't really see the returns for two or three years. So it's it's slow moving returns either way. So Ben, you mentioned uh, you mentioned earlier when we were talking that you were already kind of a financial savvy guy. You wanted to do the right things. You wanted to set yourself up for success in the future. 
Um, what were some of the things that you were doing before you'd found Bitcoin? Um, and, and then after you found Bitcoin, what were the things that you changed? I'm not like a huge risk guy I, in some ways. And so at least in finance, what I wanted to do was just have my 2% savings for like three to six months expenses and then invest the rest. I was, you know, in my early 20s and the rest went into index funds or my Roth IRA. That's just like set it, forget it. It's worked for a couple generations. That's the way to, to make it in the world. Um, but then in 2019, the, the repo spike dropped interest rates down. So my 2% savings account turned to zero while inflation, inflation stayed at 2%. So that was my rug getting pulled out from under me, my financial baseline of, oh, I have to take risk to be able to keep up. That's bullshit. I don't want to take risk. And so then I started looking. I was actually living in Denver at the time, starting the winery, living with a guy who was orange pilling himself. Um, but at that time, he was my crazy libertarian friend, and I was his buddy who was voting for Bernie. So we didn't really talk about it all that much. But then weirdly, like I said, I moved back home with my other another friend who was a Bitcoiner, and he got me straight. Um, what changed was I no longer invest in any stock stock market stuff, because if I believe in Bitcoin, I believe that stuff is going to fail. I don't know. I've gone deeper into the business. So like my whole paradigm has shifted because before that I hadn't started a business. I hadn't been completely invested. I'd never had credit card debt. Whereas like now with the business, there's times where it's like, Hey, I have to take out a $5,000 loan to be able to put $30,000 on my credit card because I have to make this purchase for wine bottles right now. So it's, it's just a totally different paradigm right now with running a business. Just betting on myself is the biggest thing. So um, with, the business is completely on me and then Bitcoin I'm betting on my knowledge as opposed to just betting on the institutional knowledge that the stock market will always go up in a 30 year time frame. And have you lost any friends because of that thinking? I would say that I've, I've definitely changed a ton. I mean, like yeah. there's no way you can go through Bitcoin without, without changing a ton. Um, and I was already kind of going through a, a mental shift with that because I, at, in starting the winery, um, I'm, I'm, so I'm a really big skier. And I've had a lot of concussions over my career and just have kind of had to shift out of that. Whereas like in college, I made all my friends through skiing. And so as I, as skiing became less part of my life, because I knew I couldn't progress anymore after the concussions, um, that kind of was a, a friend shift and starting the business was like a total life shift. And so it's just kind of all these things have just completely changed me over the last four years. And then I, I moved home away from, um, Denver, where all my a lot of my friends are. So I wouldn't say I've lost friends. I think they all knew I was a pretty passionate, direct, convicted person. But all my friends own Bitcoin. That's for sure. But I've only orange-pilled one of them. Um, I think they respect me enough to be like, hey, Ben might be right. But um, it's such a huge shift. And like, I know how into finances stuff I was and how long it took me. So like, I don't expect them to to take those dives. You had one friend that kind of introduced you to it and then you moved in mm. with, with a guy um, and that was kind of when you found it was what was if you remember, was there something specific that you were like, oh, man, this is kind of an interesting deal that initially sparked interest to maybe go listen to a podcast or read something. So this is something that I, I say all the time is that if you're a badass person, people are going to like your friends are going to come around to Bitcoin and 
the friend that I moved in with is the smartest friend I have. And so we'd have these discussions anyway, like before all of this, we just talk about geopolitics, economics, business, all that stuff. And so he had this baseline of, wow, I like this guy's what he says, I'm going to take for real. And so for a while, I thought he was just like hedging the system. And I was like, wow, you have all your eggs in the basket of um, the system failing. And I got it. You know, I got the, well, I didn't get it, but um, <laughs> then what you realize over time is that it's only a matter of time until this system fails or it has to fail. Otherwise we get slavery. So mm. um, I think that was the biggest mental flip for me. I'm just kind of jealous, but no, it's kind of crazy because if I feel like my life is a little bit similar in the friend department, you know, I only have one friend that's been orange pilled and that's Nick. So we're here. But yeah, every friend that I have at least owns Bitcoin. It seems like people will at least speculatively buy the thing, but mm -hmm. they don't really want to die. It's odd. They don't really want to dive deeper. But I also found out some people just hate finance. Like literally yeah. some people just despise thinking about numbers, which hurts my brain, you know, obviously, because I'm here. But <laughs> I mean, and I, God bless them. But uh, they just don't really want to talk about some of that stuff. They don't care. I mean, and so I don't, that was I don't hate them for it, but I'm just that curious. was a a lens for me before I got into Bitcoin because I was like so into personal finance that I would I would have my friends come over, bring their computer, and we would like set them up with the right credit card, bank account, a budget, wow. um, the right index, like do index funds. Like I was all in on fiat finance and like getting people set up because the way I want people to go is let's not think about it. You don't want to think about this. So let's get that baseline done and you're good. And until you have that, you're just going to be floating and you're probably, you know, you're probably going to figure this out too late. So uh, like I was having like finance Fridays, lunches with friends. And so I know they don't want to think about this at all. And so that's why I'm just like, just buy a little bit of Bitcoin. You don't need that much. Let's get it in the right spot. And then let's forget about it. And maybe during the next bull run, one, you'll be psyched that you bought it. But two, you might actually want to learn about it once you have it instead of being like that's that thing. Because everyone wants to learn about Bitcoin. Everyone hears about this stuff. But it's always that thing that like, oh, I'm putting that off. I haven't done that yet. Um, but once you own a little bit, yeah, then I, it's no longer a full blank slate. It's, oh, I've already kind of started this. Like, yeah, I can go a little bit and it's making me money right now in their eyes like just i mean your friends will just like mine will come around it's just people hate doing this stuff and if they see that it's making money for them i think that they'll figure it out to a degree i uh i literally just yesterday yesterday was our payday and uh we've got i use strike and um so i've got direct deposit for a percentage that goes directly to strike auto buys bitcoin and then that afternoon, I'll send it. I'll send it to my to my cold storage. And um, it was funny. Yesterday, we'd gotten here back back to the house. We were hanging out, and uh, we're on a huge Survivor kick right now. Watching just a ton of Survivor. Love the show. Anyways, we were we were between episodes, and uh, I think we were grabbing some snacks stuff. I was like, oh, I need to I need to send my Bitcoin down to you know layer one down to the hardware wallet. And, uh, and I was my my fiance. I said, hey, I said, Janae, come here, come here. I want you to do this because I'm, I'm just going to talk to you. I want you to do this so that you know what to do. And so I gave her the passwords, gave her this, gave her that, and kind of talked her through it. 
And, uh, and she sent Bitcoin from the lightning layer, you know, on strike all the way down to the cold storage. I'm like, Oh, what, like a, what, like a spiritual, uh, you know, event that could happen is, you know, man, buying your first Bitcoin, obviously she didn't buy the Bitcoin. You know, we've been, we've been buying together, you know, but, um, man, I, I actually, I just had lunch with a guy this past week and got his, got his, uh, first wallet set up just on blue wallet, I think is a good beginner wallet, wrote his, wrote his words down kept those safe. And, uh, and, and I sent him his first Bitcoin and he's still waiting for uh, his strike account to get set up or whatever. But um, it's like, man, you know, how cool is that, that we can sit down and, and set up a wallet in five, 10 minutes, you know, just kind of talking through what that concept is. Hey, this is how you buy. This is how you send it down to your wallet. And now your, your value that's being stored in Bitcoin is being protected by the largest internet uh, computer infrastructure ever in the history of the world. How cool is that, you know? It's pretty cool. And it's so easy to do. I mean, it's so easy to send people, get people set up. It's so easy to get people set up on Wallet of Satoshi, but it really doesn't take like that much more to get them set up on a real um, legit wallet. The coolest, like I've done that, that's, that's super fun. But the coolest thing for me has been selling wine and having Bitcoiners that have no idea I'm there walk by, they see my sign that says Bitcoin accepted here. And they're like, wait, for real? <laughs> um, and then they see that like, I actually get it. Like I'm not just some farmer's market stand that, that's, that has a Bitcoin sign. Like I'm a Bitcoiner and it's just like instant connection. And they're like, I've never bought anything with Bitcoin. This is so cool. They got, so then um, there's a lot of education in that because most people before I started doing this, I'd never messed with lightning. There's no reason to. Um, I would just get my Bitcoin and move it to cold storage, right? Just like you. But if you don't have a reason to use lightning, you kind of put it off and don't use it. Why would I put Bitcoin in a less secure space? So it's been a one, I had to educate myself in this, but there's also been a lot of fun education with Bitcoiners to get you set up to actually use your Bitcoin. And I think that's super important because if something if a switch gets flipped and we start needing to use bitcoin re like pretty quickly um you're gonna want to be ready you're gonna want to have done it before shit hits the fan and so it's not much you know learning to use the lightning while it's not much but like do, just do the act of doing it learning how to do it maybe being able to teach others is super important because there could be a pretty critical time period for that did the bitcoiners always buy or are they just, are they just like, oh, that's cool? Or does so, it actually lead to more sales? Um, yeah, definitely leads to more sales. I mean, I would, but like, I put it out there not expecting more sales. I put out my Bitcoin sign to be like, I just want to be that guy that has a Bitcoin sign at a legit business and be that extra touch point for people to just see Bitcoin or out in the real world, like one more time and connect it with something that's, that's cool, legit and a, a, a farmer. And so that was where it started. And then, yeah, Bitcoiners started coming up and then big people on Twitter started liking that I was selling for Bitcoin. And so more, you know, the, the message spread and one guy drove five hours um, had an excuse, but like drove five hours to buy a ton of wine for me, basically. Um, and so it's, it's look, most of my sales are in dollars, but what this does is it kind of fuels the, everything else I do. It, I'm so passionate about Bitcoin and spreading Bitcoin and it's really cool to sell in Bitcoin, 
um, and meet other Bitcoiners that it gives me a lot of energy in the rest of my business. Maybe the stuff that I'm not all that psyched about, I'm still like, I have this Bitcoin thing just like fueling me. So it's kind of a passion project, but the amount of sales in Bitcoin during an insanely low and painful bear market um, has me pretty hopeful for the, I mean, the support of the Bitcoin community is, is insane. I, I, I got to say, um, people really want to support their own. They really want to support people doing the right thing. Um, and I, I mean, I've passed that around too. I, I try and buy from as many Bitcoin businesses as possible because it's, I know how great it feels to be paid in Bitcoin. Um, when you're paid in Bitcoin, someone really values what you do because it's their precious Bitcoin. Absolutely. Yeah. Jealousy well, all over my face, Nick, basically. I wish <laughs> I was the one with the winery. Now that's what I need to do. I need to go farm or I need to go do something and I need to go sell it for Bitcoin. And then I'm good because that's pretty awesome when you think about it because you're participating in the economy just like anybody else. And maybe one day you can be totally autonomous from it with Bitcoin. You don't have to like, you know, abide by all these crazy rules or whatever. And you can kind of set your own and it can be a whole different kind of free market. But I guess that's for another day. It's just pretty cool that people will pay you in Bitcoin. And the settlement is instant. I mean, like, is it, uh, do you like it just because you stack the Bitcoin that people pay you? Or do you use it in your business functions? Do you put it on a balance sheet? Like, what do you really do with it? Okay, let me let me pause here real quick. So Ben, you are actually on the show for a reason. Um, we, we had a, a small interchange on Twitter at one point. You posted, you said, bullish on Bitcoiners, which I love that. Absolutely love that. And then this guy, Dylan Thomas, responds, Bitcoiners want a thread from you on how accepting Bitcoin for payments at your business makes sense for you while it's still so volatile. Saving is easy, just stack sats, but how do you liquidate to pay expenses and accounting that goes and and accounting that goes along with that. That's a great question. You said let's talk about this on your show. Well, here we are. So, uh, Griff, you're already asking the question: How do you account for and do business in Bitcoin, Ben? So, if you're doing 100% of your sales in Bitcoin, I think it very much makes sense to convert most of that instantly, like you do on your Strike account for your paycheck into dollars. And there's a company called Ibex Pay that allows you to do that. That's what I use for my point of sale. And so my percentage of Bitcoin sales is not crazy high. It's growing way faster than I expected, but it's probably like closer to 10% of my sales. And just well, that's a pretty good being, number though. Oh yeah. And and like I don't do any advertising or anything. A lot of that's online. So it's like I said, the support from the Bitcoin community has been awesome. But if I was, yeah, so if I was doing a higher amount, it would change that. And maybe that'll change in the future. But for now, I kind of just, I stack it all and it's treated like a cash payment. So the value that in dollars that I get is what goes on, on the sales books. If I sold it, that, that adds some more complications, but I just keep it all and, and hold it. And so the value that it brings me, cause yeah, I could just save, I sold, I sold wine at 50,000 at $50,000 Bitcoin for Bitcoin. Like I realized that I lost money on that, you know, but I, every single person who buys wine and Bitcoin, I say, that's the most expensive wine you'll ever buy. Most of them like rebuy their Bitcoin right afterwards. So it doesn't really matter. But um, 
what it does for the the company that you spend Bitcoin at, what's what I think is the, the real reason you should spend your Bitcoin is that it helps them build a non-KYC stack. They have a wallet with all this Bitcoin coming in from all different places. And if they do it right, they're not associated with it. So that like people always talk about building non-KYC Bitcoin or mixing Bitcoin. And it's like, if you run a Bitcoin business, you can just accept it and build a non-KYC stack as long as you kind of keep it away from everything. And just, I guess this is probably not the greatest legal advice, but just treat it as cash sales. So like whenever I get a Bitcoin transaction, I just treat it as cash, um, like cash came in and pay taxes on it that way. I guess you could hide your cash transactions as well, but I'm, I'm not trying to be too sneaky. Uh, yeah, it helps. It helps businesses build their non-KYC stack. And that's super, that's super beneficial. I mean, if, if businesses ever, or if Bitcoiners ever get attacked, like businesses are the ones who are out there the most and they are, they're the most um, forward besides Bitcoin celebrities. And so having a non-KYC stack can help people float through any turbulent times. For those people that may not know, how do you um, how do you create a non-KYC wallet or how do you store without your identity being connected? So there's a, a number of wallets you can use that don't, I mean, most wallets don't ask you for any identifying information. And all you have to do is just not connect it to any wallet that does have identifying information. And some of that identifying information can just be, I bought Bitcoin at Coinbase and then sent it to this wallet especially if you did it numerous times, because they pretty much, they, whoever's looking pretty much knows that if you sent Bitcoin from Coinbase to a wallet, it's probably to your wallet. And so you can, by process of elimination, pretty much determine whose wallet is whose in that way. But if I have like 60 different people all sending it to one wallet and there's nothing connected to me on that wallet at all, um, then who knows whose wallet that is uh, as far as like on the, on the on chain. So um, I can, so let's say I do that on a lightning wallet, then I just could get another, I could get a hardware wallet with no connection to me and just use that as that, as that storage. So it's a, it's like a completely separate system from most likely the rest of your, the rest of your Bitcoin. Um, and there's, I mean, there's thinking that it could be more valuable in in the short term. I mean, I, Bitcoin is is fungible in the long term, but there could be times where people give you grief or people know how much Bitcoin you have in, in your KYC stack. So it's I think it's 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 kind of more peace of mind. It's I know no one can fuck with this money, whereas um, people can figure out how much of my KYC Bitcoin I have if they really try. Mm. Mm. Ben, what is your what is your primary thesis for Bitcoin? Is it uh, is it that Bitcoin becomes, you know, world reserve money? Um, you know, how do you think that it impacts, you know, human interactions in society? What is kind of your main thing when it comes to Bitcoin? The biggest thing is like to me is that it's a steady foundation for society. I see money as the foundation for society in that it allows for free, it allows for trade within between people specialization. It's a communications tool, communication of value. And if the rules aren't changing in that, you can kind of just like that baseline's there and then you can build a sturdy, you can build sturdily upwards. And so as we see the, the craziness 
unfolding in our society, if you're paying attention, is I think a lot of that has to do with the foundation constantly changing. If the foundation of something shakes, the whole thing shakes and the top of any structure shakes way more or moves way more. So I see Bitcoin as a steady foundation to build on. And I also have, if the fourth turning was super influential for me um, in understanding generations and just understanding cycles of history. And I see the fourth turning basically says like in the fourth turning, there's tons of calamity. The, the uh, previous order kind of gets destroyed. And then in the next first turning in the next cycle of 80 years, there's new systems in place. There's, there's new um, societal structures. And I see Bitcoin as one of those foundational new societal structures, or I hope it is at least. Um, Bitcoin has to win, not Bitcoin will win. Um, and so I see Bitcoin either becoming the money in the next 10 years-ish, 10 to 15 or you know whatever that is, or the next 90. Um, without a ton of in-between. So um, I'm super bullish on Bitcoin kind of just becoming the next thing in the next 10 years. Um, I think any future or a lot of the future Bitcoin price runs will be driven by the dollar um, or other fiat currencies devaluing as as um, Biology is predicting pretty dramatically right now. Um, but yeah, a sturdy baseline. I mean, like I've seen how how just like having that that financial baseline that doesn't change for me, how Bitcoin doesn't change for me has changed my life um, and made me take a lot more responsibility for myself um, and building towards the future because I know I'm going to be fine in the future. So my like my body better be fine, my health better be fine, um, any structures mm. I build better be fine because I'm going to be there. Mm. And if that gets pushed on to other people. Like, that's why I'm bullish on Bitcoiners. I'm bullish on everyone because I think everyone will be Bitcoiners, but I've seen how Bitcoin changes me. And I've also talked to a bunch of other people who, how Bitcoin has helped change them. And when you have, I mean, when you have money that's going to have value in the future, you value the future a lot more, which makes you take responsibility in the present. And mm. if we're all taking responsibility mm. in the present slightly more, like, it's just a badass society that gets built. So that's why I'm bullish on Bitcoiners because um, I've lived it and it's, it's, I'm just really excited to see what gets built when we have a sturdy foundation and can just focus on what we're good at. So like, I'm not good at writing code. I don't want to be a Bitcoiner who works on the computer at all. Um, but I'm doing this and that's furthering Bitcoin education. I'm doing wine and it's producing a good product. So like, I, that's, I just want Bitcoiners to do what they're good at and be a Bitcoiner at it. And maybe someone else around you will become a Bitcoiner. And that's how you change the world. It's just people being, I mean, people being more badass. And I think Bitcoin helps that. So I love that, Ben. You, you bring up something that I think is so important. And one of my big pieces on Bitcoin, I like to look at uh, life through the lens of five core areas. Those being the relationships you have with friends and family, your career or purpose, your finances, your physical health, and your spiritual health. And I think that so many people today, because of that foundation, that, that broken foundation that's doing this all day, every day, that's, that's destroying the entire structure that's built on top of it, makes a lot of people stress out about their finances. People are living, you know, and this is something too that I think is really interesting, right? Back in, you know, I don't know when exactly the year would be, but 
you had a, a you know husband and wife and they had their their family their kids and dad would go to work and he would work his ass off and he could come home and he could bring home and provide for his entire family they'd own a home they'd have plenty of food and everybody was taken care of well then that then that wasn't enough right because of because of that foundation moving that wasn't enough so we sent mom to work and then uh, that worked for a little while. And then because of that foundation moving, then, well, then that also became not enough. So then we spent our savings. And uh, and then then after we spent our savings, that wasn't enough. So we took out credit cards and, and we started spending with consumer debt. And then that wasn't enough. And now we start. And over that time, I think you've seen the degradation of products and services come lower and lower and lower in quality so that things can be made in more quantity. I think all of this leads to stress financially and, and people just having so much uncertainty about finances. And I think what you're saying and what I love about Bitcoin is that I feel like with that solid foundation in, in the financial area, it allows us to focus on the relationships with friends and family, our career and our purpose, our physical health and our spiritual health, which I believe are significantly more important than our finances. 100%. I mean, money is a tool. And it helps you get everything else. But so if you if you have the money part figured out, or at least like it doesn't the rules don't change, you're going to be in a lot better spot. And I mean, just going back to something you said there is as you send um, if dad goes to work, you have less connection with dad. If mom also goes to work, you have less connection with mom. And that's your whole family. Mm. And that's going to take oh, generations of like unrooting that connection between people probably any no corner listening this would be crazy to hear it but like i think bitcoin just brings back connection between people well then then you also got to start thinking okay well now if if mom and dad are working all day every day to provide for the family who's raising the kids where who's influencing exactly. the kids and we know that the federal government is doing that big time the department of education i mean they're pushing now their own ideology um, you know, and that it really goes, I mean, the rabbit hole goes so freaking deep. Griff, I want to ask you a question. How do you define money? I, I really like highest form of energy we can achieve. That's what money is. It's like a really high form of human energy, you know, because that's kind of all money should represent. Because if you provide a lot of energy to a marketplace, so to speak, right? Like you're good, you're just good at your job or you make great wine, right? That's energy. And how do you measure how human, you know, and I don't want to say better, but how do you judge, you know, whether somebody's better than somebody else at something? Probably, you know, like by an equation of their energy into their craft and, you know, into the product or their service and then how many people buy it or whatever. So I was, that's why I like Michael Saylor's like highest form of energy we can achieve. Money is energy. It's just a representation of that. And the closer we can bring money to energy, which is, in theory, what Bitcoin is, I think the better. I don't know anything about the fourth turning, but this has been my favorite podcast I think we've done because you would you wouldn't know this, Ben, but like two years ago, Nick knew nothing about Bitcoin. He didn't even <laughs> like it. He he was like he fought me on it. He was uh and he was working for an insurance company at the time, actually. Uh just like totally different guy. Now he's over here just like spitting with you, and I'm just like, all right, well, like man like nick knows all the stuff now so i'm like whatever like i need to go learn more so that i have more stuff to talk about for turning sounds like that's maybe my next thing but i was gonna throw this up actually once you started saying uh fourth turning just because 
in order for that to happen, for like Bitcoin to be the system, it does have to appreciate against the dollar pretty massively. It was like a million dollar Bitcoin bet. And he made it with a guy who was kind of talking shit. But <laughs> this would be pretty interesting if this worked out. So shorting it or the other guy was shorting mm-hmm. it. I don't know. So in, there's a few other, there's, um, he wrote a lot about about this after this. And so, yeah, his continued thread, all that stuff. Oh, yeah. um, super interesting to read. I think there's definitely like a lot of, of um, frustration with Balaji and some shit coining, but um, I think he makes some really good points in a lot of ways. And his bet specifically is on dollar devaluation and hyperinflation as measured through Bitcoin. So he writes that he says he, he his original bet is on hyperinflation happening in the next 90 days on the dollar. And uh, he says the only way to measure it is through Bitcoin. That's a good point. And so yeah, this that's... goes into like what I was saying earlier and in, in where I think the next chapter of Bitcoin valuation comes in and like increasingly so is through fiat and dollar devaluation. So we had that first incline, that first like what, 2008 to 20, uh, maybe 17, maybe, maybe 14, mm-hmm. whatever, like of insane speed valuation. Cause that's a small market cap. You know, it doesn't take much to move the dollar price. And then after that, it's kind of matures. It's a pretty big market cap. You're not getting all the big players. And so we get this more flattening out period in the middle. And then in the end, I, I expect it to be more like a flattening and then a steep, a steep curve in the end, because you do start getting those big institutions, but also the metric that you're using to value Bitcoin in dollar terms starts getting crazy. And so it doesn't take much. You're, you're both adding money to Bitcoin, but it's also um, your denominator is losing value extremely quickly. Yeah, it's super interesting. I heard you say shitcoining earlier because you, the guy was mentioning USDC, but in the next, uh, in your view, do you think that there will be banking on Bitcoin or do you think there will be other currencies that kind of utilize banks and maybe they custody Bitcoin, but they spit out their own stable coin, I guess is, I hate, God, I hate stable coin. Like, it's just so stupid. Like pegging it to the dollar, do you know how impossible that is? We don't even know actually actually how to measure inflation. It's almost impossible because it's mm-hmm. such a relative uh, calculation to everybody's life. Yeah. Sure, certain things. But like Nick's life in Oklahoma versus my life in Sacramento is dramatically different. Your life in West Colorado to his in Oklahoma. It's like I grew up in Columbus, Ohio. It's in, I'm telling you the difference between people, lifestyle, culture, mm-hmm. how much everything costs, food, just sure. like what everybody does. Totally different everywhere, which is Um, awesome. I think that's what makes America cool. But the money is it's ridiculous. I mean, like there's just no standard of living anywhere. And I think that's kind of the problem. But in your view, do you think there will be stable coins, not stable coins, banks, no banks? I'm expecting the dollar to die. So I don't like as a bridge (sighs) for sure. But and, and like I expect banks to exist on a Bitcoin standard. I mean, there will still be investment. Um. It's in honestly, like I think with Bitcoin, people will be able to take more, not more financial risk, but more risk in terms of betting on themselves because you're able to, you can go work for somebody and actually build up a savings to actually be able to take, take that leap and follow your passion. 
And so there's that. And then there's like, oh, I'm connected to my community because I have the financial wherewithal to be able to think greater than myself because I'm not scrambling for my next meal or my rent this month. So I can, oh, Frankie down the road broke his leg. Like I can chip in because I actually have, so that that's just like a little bit more community connection. Um, there still will be investment, like I said, and I, in some form banks will exist, but like people talk about automation taking jobs. And I think the, the most important automation here that's gonna take jobs is I think nodes are taking central bankers jobs. I have mm. one more question because I'm tied up. So I'm getting out of here real quick, which is very unfortunate, Ben. How do you like Noster? It's fun. Um, yes. I've okay. been using it for, I don't know, a couple months now. And yeah. I kind of go back and forth. Like there was a period where it was like, wow, I feel like Twitter is just blackballing. Um, turns out my tweets just sucked. And I'm on Damus. I don't, I get like one or two likes. I think I'm going to get more. I'm like, man, that's kind of, yeah. <laughs> well, a lot of that is because it's chronological. It's a chronological feed. So anything you post just doesn't last. So right. like, if I want to do a big thread educating people about wine or something, I want to do it on Twitter because that feed's going to last for at least a day. It's going to be cycling yeah. around if it hits, you know? But if it hits on Noster, it's gone and, you know, yeah, you 15 posts above it. Out. They're, they're still mm-hmm. figuring out, like, the relay situation. But it is a very interesting protocol. And the fact that it's so Bitcoin friendly, I don't know if that's, like, by design as, like, a marketing thing or if it's It was just built by Bitcoiners. Yeah, it was. I mean, like, Jack is the one who fun- – he he, he has given funding, but yeah, it's been, I mean, Noster has been being built for, for years. Okay. Um, it's just finally kind of gotten to us part where a point where it's usable. And I mean, any conversation we have about Noster is going to be totally obsolete in 10 days a month because it's changing so fast. And that's yeah, like, that's you crazy. read about, you know, the baseline of Noster, like, you know, if you understand how it works to a degree, at least, um, or the, the, the theory of it, once you experience the the change, how quickly things are changing, it, it kind of sucks you in because it's a it's both a future and a right now thing because it is absolutely happening, but it doesn't have that crazy mass of users yet. Griff, I, I know you uh, I know you've got to hop out of here. Unfortunate deal. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll see you next week, Griff. Ben, I've got a couple more thoughts here. Um, before I let you get back to your Saturday. But Griff, have a good rest of your Saturday, brother. We'll be talking soon. Yeah, this was an awesome podcast. Ben, you're pretty sweet. Uh, I have never – I don't know if we've had an entrepreneur on that's accepted at 10% of sales in Bitcoin, but it's an honor to have actually met somebody doing that. And it's pretty inspiring, honestly, because every Bitcoiner talks about doing what – kind of what you're doing. So salute to you. Uh, hopefully we have more Twitter interactions in the future and, uh, I kind of hope Bitcoin goes to a million in 90 days, but yeah, I'll see you next week. Okay, Ben, we, we were, Griff and I were just kind of talking about it. Um, and I asked him what his definition of money is. I want to give you mine. And then I want to ask you what your definition of money is. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, I think money is a really difficult thing to try to define because money really is so many different things and it impacts so many different things. But I like to use uh, kind of four main pieces for the framework. And I would say that money just in general, I would say is a network. It is a language. 
and then it is time and labor. And my thought on this is that first money is a network in that we've got to be able to use it with other people in our community, right? It has to be, it has to be uh, the most saleable good, right? As, as uh, most people would put it, um, the most liquid good in a market that people will accept, right? That's the network. Um, I would say that it is a language in that it's, a, it's an agreed upon protocol that people, that people in that network say, we agree that this is value and how we communicate our economic uh, values, right? And in what we purchase, the, the products and services that we buy. So I'd say it's a network and a language. And I'd say that money represents the time and the labor that we expend in the marketplace, producing value, earning that money, and then further communicating that value throughout the market, uh, the products and services that we buy within that network that is that money. And I would say that I think the dollar's best value proposition is the network because it's so widely accepted, uh, especially in the United States. Obviously, it's, it's the, the, the main, main currency here in the United States, um, but also in, in several other parts of the world. And it is, you know, we have the Bretton Woods Agreement uh, that pegged the dollar to gold at $35 an ounce, and then every other foreign currency pegged to the dollar, which essentially was say, said that, you know, everything is now tied to gold because the dollar is tied to gold and everything else is tied to the, mm -hmm. the dollar. Well, then obviously Nixon comes in 71 and cuts that tie from gold and the dollar. And now everything is just in free fall and nothing's connected to any real value. Uh, I would say that the dollar's best value proposition is the network. But I would say that money is a network, it's a language, and is then representation of our time and labor expent in the market. So I want to ask you, what is your definition of money? So, yeah, great overview of that. If you're asking for like a, a succinct definition, um, I really liked what Griff had to say. But what I would say is that money is a, a technology that allows for the communication and storage of value through space and time. And Bitcoin just kind of like the, that hits on all those points is the communication is the network um, and value is the energy. And you got to you got to be able to transmit it through space and save it through time. Well, Ben, I think this I has been a really fun <laughs> conversation. I've really enjoyed it. Um, thank you for coming on. I want to I want everybody that's listening to know how can they support Ben? So uh, what is the name of your your wine company? And where can people go buy your wine, uh, especially if they want to buy it in Bitcoin? How can people do that? So my winery is called Peony Lane, P-E-O-N-Y. And my website is peonylanewine.com, where I ship all over the United States. And Bitcoin sales with, with alcohol create a little bit of a headache when shipping across straight lines. But I still do sell wine on the Oshi app. So... My link is oshioshi.team slash Lane, And there I sell basically gift cards for Bitcoin that you apply on my website and ship all over the U.S. But um, I just have a lot of fun interacting with people on Twitter. So just follow me at Ben Justman and have a good time. Beautiful. Well, Ben, thank you for jumping on. Thank you for coming on, man. It's been a pleasure. And uh, we're, we're excited because I think I think we're going to have to have you on again at some point. So, hey, have a great rest of your, uh, your Saturday and rest of your weekend, man. We'll see you soon. Cheers. Guys, if you are not watching right now, we do have video on Spotify and on YouTube. 
Come see us on Twitter right down here. You can see it if you're watching. It's at Nick and Griff Show. I guess let me, there you go. At Nick and Griff Show here. We do have audio on all the major platforms. And if you want to get some Satoshi Saturdays gear and Nick and Griff Show gear, go to the Satoshi shop. The link's down in the description. Also, all the, the links for Ben's company, Peeny Lane, uh, will be down in the description as well. Go buy some wine. I am doing so myself and uh, can't wait to taste it. But guys, thank you for listening to another episode of the Nick Griff Show. We will see you next. Peace.